It's a beautiful morning. To get smart, it's McIntyre in the morning with Doug McIntyre, Leanne Tweeden News, Randy Wang Sports, and Bill Thomas Traffic. Six oh six, the time. Talk radio seven ninety KABC. Royal Oaks in for in for Doug McIntyre. Peter Tilden's going to be here ten to noon. Doctor Drew and Lauren Savan noon to three, and Julian and John will be here three to six p.m. And speaking of shows, uh, please check out my podcast. It's the Royal Oak Show. It's on CRN Digital Talk. You can find it on YouTube.com. So the big story around the globe. The North Korean summit on, off, on. Uh, fortunately for us, we have Gordon Chang, yes. author of Nuclear Showdown, North Korea Takes the World, uh, to help us sort it out. Gordon, how are you today? I'm fine. Thank you, Royal, and thank you so much. Well, Gordon, I saw you on Laura Ingram's show on Fox last night, and I uh, I thought you had uh, uh, an excellent uh, angle on this crisis. You mentioned that North Korea knows it overplayed its hand and it may well come back to the table i want to find out uh if, if that if i'm sort of recapping your opinion on this uh, pretty critical issue and and if that is correct why you think that's true yeah that is correct uh, and i think it's true because the north koreans need sanctions relief they certainly don't want uh, the u.s to strike their nuclear and their missile facilities they want the U.S. to be a counterweight to China because China has, you know, for a couple thousand years threatened the Korean homeland. And also Kim Jong-un wants a legitimization that will in- inevitably come when he sits down with President Trump, shakes hands under the glare of the television lights, and, and that will elevate his status. I was speculating earlier, uh, Leanne and I were talking about the issue of why Trump did what he did, and I was speculating that it sounds like an art of the deal kind of thing. If the other side says, oh, no, we probably aren't going to show up, Trump couldn't very well say, oh, please, please show up, because that yeah. would hurt, hurt his bargaining power. I wonder what your perhaps more sophisticated take on the, on the psychological dynamic here is. Yeah, I don't know if it's more sophisticated, but I think you're absolutely right. Um, There is the art of the deal aspect to it. Also, you know, the North Koreans, and we learned this from Secretary of State Mike Pompeo yesterday, did not show up in Singapore um, for a logistics meeting to, you know, work out all of the details. And and our State Department team was there for three days waiting for the North Koreans to show up. Mm. So clearly there's some problems on the North Korean side, and that is an indication that it was a good idea to bail out of the summit. So what was it about that comment a few days ago? uh, What led to the comment about, oh, we can guarantee the safety uh, of Kim? Was there some suggestion by the North Korean folks that that Kim was worried that he's going to show up in Singapore and somebody's going to blow him up? Uh, Is that why we were reaching out and giving him assurances that, that everything would be okay? Um, My sense is, and I'm certainly not inside the president's head, uh, but my sense is that uh, all the comments about the Libyan model, Mm -hmm. those started with National Security Advisor John Bolton at the end of April. Uh, President Trump tried to clean that up about a week or so ago. Um, That didn't work out that well. And so you had Vice President Pence also talk about the Libyan model. 
And so this has taken on a life of its own. The Libyan model, as Bolton used it technically, is that the North Koreans would do what the Libyans did, give up all of their equipment, all of their weapons program at the beginning, and then get benefits later. Um, but, of course, when people think Libyan model, they think of the uh, death of Gaddafi in 2011, you know, found in a drainage ditch. And certainly Kim Jong-un does not want to end up in some sort of ditch like Gaddafi. Gordon, I'm curious, you know, it seemed like everything was going so smoothly. I mean, even some people are like, okay, this must be too good to be true. But all of a sudden, it just seemed like Kim Jong-un flipped. Do you think that it was maybe some generals or people inside his uh, cabinet that were like, wait a minute, wait a minute, we're giving up way too much. You're seeming uh, too into all this. We gave up the three prisoners and now we're just doing their bidding. Do you think that that he was he had gotten somebody got a hold of him inside his own cabinet and said, no, 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 you need to go back and, and, and appear strong to the world? Yeah, Leanne, I, I think that there was that was part of it. Um, you know, Kim had been sort of public, at least through Moon Jae-in, the South Korean president, that he was willing to give up his most destructive weapons. And I'm sure there are a lot of generals who are not very happy with that. Yeah. Also, um, Kim probably was worried about the expectations he was creating among ordinary uh, North Koreans, um, that there would be peace and prosperity, and maybe he felt that he would be overtaken by a wave. And of course, the last thing is that China was not acting uh, as a good actor in this particular drama, sort of busting sanctions over the last two or three months, being very open about busting sanctions. And that gave Kim a little bit of confidence that he could be provocative in his relations with the United States. We're talking with Gordon Shang, author of Nuclear Showdown, North Korea Takes on the World. Gordon, do you think that we should worry about the President Donald Trump thinking about, oh, a Nobel Prize would be fun, a deal is really crucial, and if Mueller comes up with some strong evidence about collusion or obstruction that the Dems could use against me for impeachment next year, well, uh, great developments on the North Korean front will help uh, ward that off. Do you think all of that should make us concerned that he might be inclined to, to cut some deals that aren't necessarily in our best interest? Well, you know, if we go back a week ago, Royal, a lot of people were concerned that the president would be uh, end up at a bad deal because he needed a deal. Um, but, you know, he walked away from one yesterday with releasing that letter. So right. I think that he is actually um, very mindful of what's in the best interest of the United States. As I said, you know, I don't know his motivations. I don't look at domestic stuff at all. Um, but nonetheless, um, the president said, look, I'm taking a hike. And that's what he said he would do if things did not look good. So I think he deserves credit for that. What is China's role here? I mean, there was that weird uh, train ride. Uh, Kim shows up, and I guess it was the first time he'd left his uh, nation in decades, maybe since he uh, assumed power. Do do we know really what China's state of mind is? I mean, they're obviously no big friend of the United States. They're our traditional enemy. It's a different world. We're sort of you know post Cold War. But, I mean, China can't really be rooting for the U.S. and Trump to, to, to come out smelling like a rose here. Do you think at, at the end of the day, China is going to take steps that are really more partial to North Korea in this confrontation as opposed to America? 
Well, they've already done that by openly supporting the North Koreans in violation of their obligations to enforce U.N. sanctions. China, from the very beginning of this process, March 8th, when President Trump accepted Kim's offer to talk directly, China found itself on the outside looking in, and that was really uncomfortable for Xi Jinping, the Chinese ruler, who believes that he should be ruling um, the world. You know, So he certainly believes he should be controlling his 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 uh, immediate periphery. So Beijing has been, I think, not very helpful. And the one area where I think President Trump should be criticized is that he did call the Chinese out on Monday and Tuesday of this week. He probably should have done that um, two months ago, six weeks ago, when it became evident what the Chinese were doing on the UN sanctions. And I think that China felt that it could do what it wanted to because we weren't calling them out. And so that's led to a, you know, the situation we find ourselves now. We heard about North Korea apparently voluntarily demolishing some sort of a nuclear test site, and that seemed to show some sort of good faith. And yet there were some weird reports about, well, maybe there was some kind of natural disaster earthquake or something <laughs> that, had, that had sort of done half of the work for them anyway. Do we have any sense as to what that represented, the, a sort of a voluntary uh, pre-Singapore? Uh, sound, sounds like an important step. Well, it, it was the destruction of evidence. Um, because we uh-huh. only had journalists on board, not uh, uh, technicians. Um, but the other thing, though, about this is that you're talking about the Pungiri site and specifically Mount Montop, which was geologically unstable, according to most experts. And that was because of the September 3 detonation of what is almost certainly a thermonuclear device. Um, now, some people say that there were a couple of test tunnels that were geologically sound, and, and we don't know, Royal, uh, who, um, uh, what they've actually destroyed, and we won't know that until we see some video footage of what actually occurred. So at this particular time, um, that's to be determined, but they destroyed some facilities that were useless anyway, whether they destroyed ones that are useful it's we won't know for quite some time. Gordon, I- I'm just curious, you know, with all of this sort of back and forth, why did Kim Jong-un give up those three prisoners back to us? That's a great question, and I wish I had an answer. Um, I, I think that the, that Kim was being carried along by the momentum of events, um, and he felt that it was necessary to do that. But, you know, his thinking... Um, it, well, the U.S. put a lot of pressure on him to, to release the three, but I, I don't know how all of that occurred and what inside Pyongyang led to that decision. That's a really great question. If we knew the answer to that, we would be in a much better position in being able to deal with the North Koreans. Trump's supporters, Gordon, uh, point to the tough talk, the rocket man stuff, just really unprecedented uh, rhetoric, and say this is is what helped bring him around. Do you think that uh, that's that's a, a valid point that that Trump does deserve uh, credit, assuming that this pans out better than the other uh, hopes that we've had over the last couple of decades? Do you think that it was his toughness that actually uh, caused the tectonic shift? Um, that was part of it, uh, and we know that because there's a guy named Andre Lankov, who some people consider to be the world's number one expert on North Korea. Lankov wrote an article about five, six weeks ago where he mentioned that the foreign policies of China, North Korea, and South Korea train, 
changed dramatically at the end of last year, and the only explanation for it, and, and he saw that as a positive development, and the only explanation that he could find would be they were all concerned about war. I don't think he goes on to say um, it was Trump's threats, but clearly it was Trump's threats that made all of them concerned about peace and stability in North Asia. So the president does get some credit for that. Um, but I think it was sanctions enforcement that really started to put the bite into Kim Jong-un because he wasn't getting money for the things that he needed, like launching missiles, detonating nukes, giving gifts to his senior regime members to buy their loyalty. So I think that it's also a money issue. All right, Gordon Chang, author of Nuclear Showdown, North Korea Takes on the World. Thank you so much for uh, helping us out thank and uh, understand this important issue. Oh, well, thank you. I really appreciate it. All right, take care. You know, uh, Leanne, this is not the only uh, nation, uh, wacky nation we're having to deal with. Uh, there's Iran, and uh, this is, I, I couldn't believe this this story. Did, did you hear this? Iran's supreme leader, the current Ayatollah, he... Um, he compared the United States to the cat in Tom and Jerry. Uh, did you have any idea that the leader of Iran is a cartoon watcher, is a Tom and Jerry fan? I, you know, that just goes to show you that American culture is all over the world, whether they'd like to admit it or not. Uh, in a big way. So the Iran supreme leader, he, uh, he attacked uh, the United States' efforts to hit the Islamic Republic saying that Washington would ultimately fail like the famous cat in Tom and Jerry. <laughs> Seriously. I wonder if he considered Wile E. Coyote and Roadrunner. Well, they're know? about 70 years behind in the shows that they get over there. Exactly. So in 20 years, they'll talk about Wile E. Coyote and My the Roadrunner. goodness. Runner. Oh, they're going to like Seinfeld then when, they, when it <laughs> finally gets there. It's, it's a show about nothing. But, uh, yeah, all these plots failed, he said, like the famous cat in Tom and Jerry. They will lose again. Totally, totally okay. bizarre. So we've been talking about the uh, NFL teams. Uh, the players uh, and the teams are going to be fined uh, if there is kneeling during the national anthem. Well, I was and reading last night that there are players already trying to figure out s some other way to protest now that that's come out and they're angry. Oh, know? they'll figure something oh, out. Yeah. I mean, are they going to, if they raise their fist, are they going to get fined for that? Is the team going to get fined for that? Also, this unanimous vote. Wasn't really a vote, and the unanimous vote that Roger Goodell touted, two of the NFL owners didn't participate in that vote. Oh, Mark boy. Davis of the Raiders and the owner of the 49ers, they abstained from voting. So how was that a unanimous vote for this decision for them to find themselves? Well, so Goodell is under a huge amount of pressure oh, he's screwed to put way. this thing behind him yeah. because 20% drop in the ratings. Is that what we've been seeing uh, in terms it's of reporting? It's been really bad. The last two years, it's been a big drop-off. Yeah. What in what is it that could possibly cause such? I mean, one fifth is gigantic. I cannot believe it's all the kneeling controversy. It. it I mean, earlier, Leanne, you were saying the quality, quality of the, the play, the is? games were terrible, the matchups were terrible. I think the proliferation of football on television. It's not like it just used to be your Sunday games, Sunday night football, and Monday night football. Now we've got Thursday. Now it's on different platforms. I just think people are burned out by it, and. I think that just sort of spurned a lot of people that, you know, they said, why am I going to spend my time when I have so many other things to watch and entertain myself through every platform? I'm going to watch guys kneeling that make millions of dollars and disrespect our country, even though that's maybe not what they were kneeling for. But that's how people perceived it. And when they perceive it that way, they stop watching the product. And what happens when they stop watching the product? 
the NFL loses money. And that's the only reason why Roger Goodell and is trying to make some change. It's because they see their, their the bottom line is is being affected. It's just such an uphill battle, though. And Randy, as you were saying, they're going to come up with some other way to protest. And the idea of trying to keep a lid on people's personal opinions and free speech and protests, it's just hard to imagine that this is going to end well, well for, they, the, for they the NFL. Well, they didn't need a policy to begin with. This was starting to die out. Fewer yep. and fewer teams <laughs> are doing it to begin with. They've reignited this thing by putting a policy in place yeah. because then who starts touting about it? Donald Trump saying, that if players protest, we should deport them. Oh, God. I mean, when you think about it, though, I mean, the the owners should have the right, since since they own the team and they know that they're going to suffer in terms of ratings if people are, are, are protesting, acting out, or whatever. Oh, they have every right to do it. They're a private business. The problem is it's, it's still a PR disaster. Yeah. Right, because people are saying, oh, that's my my." First Amendment right, I can I should be able to do and say anything I want, even though they're being paid millions of dollars and it's a private entity. It's it's very interesting. And the people that were for the protest, now they're not gonna watch the NFL, so the ratings could continue to bleed off. And obviously it's not the only issue that they're facing. There's a lot of issues. There's some self-inflicted issues with the NFL. How about the fact that ratings might be down for Sunday games because they have the red zone channel and that's a lot more fun to watch. Well, exactly. you know, when Roger Goodell was having his big feud a month or so ago with, was it Jerry Jones, the owner of the, of the mm-hmm. Dallas Cowboys? <clears throat> it seemed like Roger Goodell came out smelling like a rose. He renegotiated some giant contract. They pay him hundreds of millions well, of dollars. Well, they love him Ridiculous. because he can be the whipping boy. He takes the blame for everything that's wrong with the football teams, and the owners don't have to take any blame for anything. I guess. Seems like a pretty expensive whipping boy, though. I mean, if they're going to throw such gigantic sums of money. Well, it, you know, when you when your organization doesn't have to pay taxes. You have a lot of money to spend. <laughs> That's true. That's true. It's 623 on Talk Radio 790 KABC. Hey, keep your eyes open today for the KBC promo van as it heads to the city of Westminster. Starting at 3 p.m., they'll be hanging out in front of the Starbucks at the corner of Westminster and Springdale Street off the 405. Listeners who drop by will get some KBC swag and can register to win a pair of tickets to see Steely Dan and the Doobie Brothers at the Forum on May 30. K- ABC in Westminster today. Tickets courtesy of Live Nation. I'm Royal Oaks in for Doug McIntyre. Stay with us and let's uh, check in with Donna Page. How is the traffic looking? 649 at time. Talk Radio 790 KABC. Royal Oaks in for Doug McIntyre. I'm so mad, Leanne. I, I'm oh, so no. angry Why? with myself. I missed the Stormy Daniels West Hollywood oh. celebration. She mm. got the key to the city. Why? It was, the, it was there yeah. at the adult boutique Shishi LaRue's. <laughs> And I, and her lawyer was I I I had it on my calendar and I I haven't been this mad since I missed the town hall on CNN. Did you, for, you see you that? You put it in your calendar, but you forgot to put yes. the alert on. Yeah, to something remind like you. that. Did you did you see the CNN town hall on income inequality? It was a, on about a month ago. I, I was so angry that I missed that. <laughs> it featured this is no joke. It featured Bernie Sanders. Michael Moore and Elizabeth Warren, and I missed it. I missed mm. the CNN town hall on income inequality. That oh, in Stormy's day. And did you hear it ended tragically? Oh, yeah, her- yeah, no, Michael Moore actually ate Bernie Sanders. Oh, oh it was terrible. <laughs> but the liberal media covered it up. They, they called it a, a progressive diet malfunction. Did you hear the fallout from this Stormy day yesterday? No. Well, her, her- big after party was at the Abbey. 
And apparently her security detail was rude to everybody yeah, and they didn't pay their bill. Yeah, they walked Ooh. out, ditched, didn't tip. Who dines and dashes at the Abbey? They were like intimidating like journalists that and stuff like that. That is rude. Yeah. So she was there. At, it's a hot pink sex toy shop there in West Hollywood. Uh, Shishi LaRue's is named after the drag queen and director of gay pornography. She gave less than two minutes of remarks. Boy, she gives him two minutes, then she stiffs him. She doesn't pay and... and Shouldn't have a lot to say. Very, very rude. What did she do to get the key to the city? Well, she's part of the resistance movement against Trump. Because she did Donald Trump? Allegedly, uh, I guess, but you know, she's going after him, suing him, and so on. Uh, she said in her less than two minutes of remarks, uh, as a woman with two wonderful gay dads, I feel especially welcome in West Hollywood. A spokesman for the uh, city, Ms. Baslanti, said, We're a sex positive community. The fact Ms. Daniels has a career in adult films, well, we're not ashamed of that. So it was But how is a she a member of the resistance? She's profiting off the fact that she slept with the and president. still trying you're, to get more money from you're, it. You're right. Yeah. But according to her and her lawyer, he, she wants him to tell the truth, wants Trump to tell the truth about, oh, about yeah. what he did. Yeah. And she's offering to give the 130000 bucks back. She makes about seventy five grand uh, a pop when an she appearance? goes to an appearance. Yeah, yeah She doesn't clubs. need the hundred and thirty grand anymore. So a drag queen. When she's queen, stripping, she makes seventy five grand. Yeah. And, and I, I can't tell you how I know this, but she's still... The top search on all those free porn websites. I can't tell you how I know I that. I believe. Well, you probably read it. <laughs> well, a drag queen research. named Shani Ibrahim, wearing gold high-heeled boots and a sequined blue dress, uh, held up a sign reading Stormy for President. Oh, God. Uh, her lawyer, Michael Avenatti, and I still don't know why I, Rob Marenko had this note on Facebook. Rob said, why did she need a lawyer to get a key to the city of West Hollywood? But, you know, the guy wanted to show up. It's all right, I suppose. So Avenatti, he's not biased or anything. He calls Daniels one of the most intelligent, self-aware, courageous people you will ever come to know in your lifetime. You know, the seventy-five grand a pop, she should be able to loan him money because he needs it. You, you read? He didn't pay his taxes. Didn't pay the taxes. Oh, a judge just the for? other day oh. said that his law firm, that I guess he's a, got a chunk of, uh, owes $10 million as a result of a, a Has a, he made a, a comment on that yet? Well, yeah, he says it's a load of crap. He says it's not true at all. <laughs> you, know, you know, if he got paid 50 bucks for every time he was on CNN, he could pay that tax bill. <laughs> yeah, thank you. And that that's also something uh was a little strange. He was quoted as saying, because there was talk about uh, him and... Uh, Scaramucci, Anthony Scaramucci, a ha- show, having right? a show on CNN, like talk show, a crossfire type thing on CNN. And so the quote of note from Avenatti was, oh, I have no interest in being on television. Oh, and I thought, stop. you know, let's get the polygraph machine, hook him up, and let's just see who's lying. And R- Randy, I think you should put up $10,000. W- Where do de- you think I have $10,000? And the deal will be, if Avenatti flunks the polygraph machine, he's got to pay you ten plus ten to your favorite charity. If he passes it, you're out a lot of money. But I think that that is the way to hold his feet to the fire. Please. By the way, as a lawyer, I always wonder about this with Avenatti. Is it really a good representation of your client to be on TV with all these speculative theories all the time? Is that really what a lawyer should be doing? I think that he is a is a capable lawyer. He's worked on some high-profile, uh, complicated business litigation matters, and, and so it, it looks as if he's, he's a good lawyer. He also gets into a lot of messes. He's in a, a, a huge bunch of owing $2 million here and $10 million there. But to directly answer your question, yeah, I, I think he is 
helping his own career and improving his own profile, totally. probably at the expense uh, of Stormy Daniels. Because I think, you know, judges who see this whole landscape, they say, you know, this is a big publicity thing. And I think they're less likely to take his argument Well, now seriously. you know it's a problem when you see him on TV and they're asking him about all the other things of the day. Not just Stormy Daniels anymore. They're like, let's ask you about this. And he's just talking about all the other things on the show. I'm like, oh, God. Yep, exactly. Go away. Hey, it's 6.54 on Talk Radio 790-KABC. Royal Oaks in for Doug McIntyre. Stay with us. 6.59 the time. Talk Radio 790-KABC. Royal Oaks in for Doug McIntyre. Leanne, I have some advice for you. Uh-oh. If you don't like a haircut, just keep it to yourself. A Brooklyn oh. man complained about his haircut to the Brooklyn barber. The barber threw him through the plate glass window. <laughs> Another barber in the shop, Free Small. Free Small, what a name. It's like release Mickey Rooney or yeah. you know, Unchain the Munchkins. Free Small says, uh, you know, I would have fixed the dude's hair for free, especially if there was going to be a problem. They, The other barbers claimed they didn't know the name of the bad barber, you know. Oh, please. It's like a criminal barber gang. Stick with us, folks. Live home with Jillian Barbary and John Phillips. Weekdays 3 to 6. KABC, Los Angeles, Orange County. A cumulus station. KBC News, live and local at 7 o'clock. Good morning, everyone. I'm Leanne Tweeden. Harvey Weinstein has been arraigned on rape, criminal sex act, and other sex charges stemming from encounters with two women. The former powerhouse movie producer stared grimly as he appeared today in a Manhattan court. He agreed to post $1 million cash bail, wear an electronic monitor, and not travel beyond New York and Connecticut. Weinstein didn't enter a plea. That's common at this stage in a criminal case in New York. Weinstein has consistently denied any allegations of non-consensual sex. President Trump is leaving open the possibility that he could still meet with North Korean leader Kim Jong-un in the coming weeks. The president was asked about it outside of Marine One on on the White House grounds this morning. We're going to see what happens. We're talking to them now. Uh, It was a very nice statement they put out. We'll see what happens. Even though protesters in Koreatown hit the streets again yesterday to denounce a proposed homeless shelter, the plan is still moving forward. There were a lot of angry voices in Koreatown. We may have to sit at 682 and not move and not let them build this shelter there. But at L.A. City Hall, an emotional council president, Herb Wesson, was just as fired up. Enough is enough because it is not right in 2018 for us to drive up and down the streets and see people that are living on the street. Though he does apologize for not reaching out to more people about the plan. At L.A. City Hall, James Rojas, KABC News. A jury in West Covina has awarded more than $25 million to a woman who alleged the maker of Johnson & Johnson baby powder was responsible for the asbestos-caused cancer a woman developed after years of using the product. Jurors found that Johnson & Johnson was negligent and failed to warn consumers. Plaintiffs Gary and Joanne Anderson filed suit following the woman's diagnosis of a cancer of the lining of the lungs caused by asbestos exposure. She used Johnson's baby powder on her children when they were younger and, as an avid bowler, regularly used the product on her hands and shoes for years. Federal regulators are recommending seatbelts on all new school buses across the country. Correspondent James Dinan has details. The National Transportation Safety Board based its findings on two crashes in 2016, one in Tennessee and the other in Maryland, that left a total of 12 people dead and 37 injured. Officials in Virginia are already implementing school bus seatbelts, even though they are not a state requirement. 
Occasionally, you see an accident from across the country, perhaps where a bus is T-boned or is rolled over. And some of those types of accidents, we will have enhanced safety with students in a three-point seatbelt as opposed to having no restraint at all. I'm James Dinan reporting. KBC News Time is 703. All right, sports with Randy Wang. Hey, the Dodgers host the Padres at 7. Ross Stripling starting for the Blue Angels beat the Blue Jays 8-1. Mike Trout put up his 15th home run of the season. Angels head to New York to play the Yankees at 4. It's Andrew Heaney starting for the Halos. The Rockets beat the Warriors 98-94 for a 3-2 lead. But Chris Paul hurt his hamstring in the last minute. Now he's questionable for game six. Oh, not the hammy. He've left the team, but the Clippers' curse continues. The Celtics' LeBron is game six at 5.30. If Boston wins this one, LeBron is not going to the finals. I'm way too excited about that. Stanley Cup finals between Washington and Vegas. That starts Monday night. LA Galaxy playing San Jose at 8. LAFC playing DC United tomorrow at 7. Let's check the countdown clock. Only 3,709 days to the LA 2028 Olympics. All right, let's get an update on crazy-ass Richie Incognito. 5150, somebody call the Popo. I'm going crazy, thinking about you, baby. Well, yesterday we told you that Richie Incognito got put on an involuntary psychiatric hold because he was throwing things at people inside a Florida gym. He was throwing dumbbells at a guy and saying, get out of my effing house. Well, now the cops are detailing us of what exactly was going on when they came to talk to him. Apparently, this is what Richie Incognito's response was to when the cops asked, what's going on here? There's a guy walking around here with headphones on. I'm running NSA class level three documents through my phone. I can't have anybody in Bluetooth capability of taking pictures of me. (laughs) And that's why they sent him to the loony bin. Is Incognito really his name? KBC Dependable Traffic when you need it most. And for Bill Thomas, here's Donna Page. Sig alert continues southeast on PCH. The right lane is blocked at Topanga Canyon where a pedestrian was hit. You're backed up from Rambla Pacifico now. Also a sig alert west 210 at Roxford, an overturned big rig trailer. The number two and three lanes are blocked. Very slow from Hubbard Street. And a sig alert east 10 at Holt. Right lane taken away with a broken down bus. You're heavy approaching that. And a new problem, West 91 at Santa Fe Avenue. Overturned car, only the two right lanes are available in your jam from Lakewood. I'm Donna Page, Talk Radio 790 KABC. KBC SoCal weather, patchy fog and drizzle this morning. The mostly cloudy with highs in the mid-60s to around 70. Currently, it's 57 degrees in Woodland Hills, 62 in Costa Mesa, and 59 downtown L.A. More news coming up on Talk Radio 790 KBC, home of the 30-minute nonstop news blitz at 8, noon, and 4. I'm Leanne Tweeden, KBC News. Wake me up And get smart. It's McIntyre in the morning with Doug McIntyre, Leanne Tweeden News, Randy Wang Sports, and Bill Thomas Traffic. 706 The Time, Talk Radio 790K, ABC, Royal Oaks. In for Doug McIntyre this delightful Friday. It's got to be everybody's favorite day of the year, Leanne. Getting ready for a big three-day weekend. Love it. And how lucky are we to be joined by our friend Jim Murray, Chief Correspondent for Inside Edition. Jim, uh, happy Memorial Day a little early. How you doing? Good, Royal. How are you doing? Long time no talk. You know, when I'm occasionally on your fine program, there's just one thing that happens the next day as I, you know, I'm wandering down the street. People 
they just have one question. What's Jim Murray really like? <laughs> What's Jim Murray really like? Yeah, yeah no, I'm Jim, sure that. You get that a lot, I'm sure. I don't, I don't know what to say. What do you, you have any advice? What should I say? I mean... You know, just an, just an, just an average, normal guy, just like you. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I could do, Jim? I could just what? tell him, buy his book. <laughs> Leanne, Jim Murray has written a book called The Last Day of My Life. It's, it's one of the finer books uh, on the planet nice. it's a, a, be a good memorial day gift available on amazon so uh, yeah of course jim that's that's what i do i just tell them thank to read you. read the damn book thank you royal hey you know what i was listening to the news coming into your show do you believe that just now talking about putting seatbelts in school buses that's what i said crazy to you yeah insane yeah, it does yeah, seem... you agree with me right i mean they, there are there are children right and we we like we say oh you have to click it or ticket it because in your own vehicle you always have to wear seatbelts. and then in school buses where we just have group loads of children we've never had seatbelts. yeah i mean well, and i love that official that that official that was that was uh, had the soundbite said we believe that in certain types of crashes a three-point harness is better than no restraint at all <laughs> you think to yourself what year is this 1952. Thank you. <laughs> so I bet you've been following the Stormy Daniels saga a bit, uh, Jim Murray. Uh, <laughs> yes, I have. I, I spoke with her, you know, uh, a couple of months ago before she was technically allowed to talk, and and we spent about an hour and a half. To, I actually had an hour and a half interview with her that yielded about uh, two sound bites because she couldn't say anything. But I found her to be very smart, very interesting, uh, funny, good sense of humor. She was also uh, expressed a great deal of concern and. Uh, fear for her safety, and and you see what what her attorney Michael Avenatti has been able to do with driving uh, the administration crazy. And she was rather complimentary to you, Jim Ray, as I recall. <laughs> Didn't she well, use words she, like uh, "you're so pretty," "you're so handsome"? She did. Uh, she. she I think she did that to, uh, well, it worked, basically, because she wasn't answering any of my questions, so she would just tease me. Uh, but, but you know, since that interview, she's obviously come out with her 60 Minutes interview, yeah. and she's expressed, uh, yeah, basically, you, you know the story. But I was, I was there uh, a couple of days ago when she received a key to the city uh, of West Hollywood, and, and it sparked a lot of controversy. You know, a lot of people call her uh, an advocate for change, standing up to the administration, standing up to uh, what she considers a bully, and other Others say, "Hey, look, this is this is wrong. This uh, a, an adult film star who slept with a married man who's getting a key to the city. This is inappropriate." Uh, you know, I talked to Michael Avenatti about it right after the event, and he said, "Look, it's their city. This is their key. They can give it to who they want." And and he was uh, obviously very complimentary to what he calls his courageous client. We're talking with Jim Murray, chief correspondent for Inside Edition. Well, you know, our pal Rob Marenko uh, tweeted, uh, Jim. He said, "Why does Stormy need a lawyer to get a key to the?" City, which I thought was a legitimate point. I think Michael just likes to be, you know, where the action is. Did you, you so you saw obviously the 60 Minutes interview, and I, yeah. I thought, and obviously, as you mentioned, she wasn't quite as forthcoming in terms of substance with you, although I thought it was very fascinating what she said to you. But do, do you have the same reaction I did to the 60 Minutes when she really started giving the details? She sounded very credible. I mean, she didn't hesitate. She wasn't concocting a story. She'd be asked a question by Anderson Cooper and boom, 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 she would just lay it out. I, I mean, I didn't doubt the truth of anything she said after I heard that interview. I didn't either. I agree with you completely. Look, I interviewed Leanne some months ago when she had uh, a very credible uh, story that she recounted about then-Senator Al Franken, or mm -hmm. actually at the time he was. But, you know, you, you have to realize 
that, 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 that I don't know that there's any advantage for a woman to come forward and tell a story like that because let's face it, Stormy Daniels only received 130,000 and she's willing to give it back. She's, and she's not going to make substantially more retelling her same story in a book. I think I believe she was very credible. She was. She's not a stupid woman. She's very smart. She's very poised. She knows what she's doing, and, and I believed her. Now, on the other hand, when I see her uh, bust out and in the Saturday Night Live cold open a few weeks ago, which was about as exciting as when Cy, the Gangnam uh, Style guy, uh, w- w- made a special surprise appearance on SNL. But when yeah. I saw Stormy, I thought to myself, okay, now it's official. You are part of a pop culture phenomenon. You are you are just loving the attention. You, you deserve it. You know you're going to make your seventy five thousand bucks in appearance. But I think she's lost any pretense of righteousness when it comes to her lawsuit because you know what she and Michael Avenatti are selling is oh my gosh we want transparency. Well, Stormy, you made a deal, and the deal was you get one hundred and thirty thousand dollars, and what you give up is transparency. You commit to secrecy. You agree that even if there is a dispute regarding this ar- this agreement, it will be resolved in secret arbitration. So I thought that that kind of crossed the line to the point where, yeah, it's fine for her to be a critic. Obviously, she came out and said, Mr. President, resign. And, and that's fine for her to have the opinion. But Avenatti's self-righteousness about transparency and let's get to the bottom of this, you can't get to the bottom of it because Stormy took one hundred and thirty grand in order to be secret. I mean, am I off well- base? No, I don't think you're off base. I just think there are differences of opinion on, on that. I think that Michael Avenatti is as good Trump's game as Trump is. He's, he's great at using the media mm-hmm. and, and using them for his purpose. I don't think that going on Saturday Night Live ruins any credibility any more than Donald Trump going on when he was a candidate ruined his credibility or his ability to be elected president. I think if you lose your sense of humor, you've lost a lot more than you would in just simply a legal case. So I, I, don't, I don't fault her for that. So look, she's a pop culture phenomenon. She's one of the most popular females in the world, or certainly in the U.S. right now. So, I mean, she, she's, she's out of voice, and she's using it. Hey, let's switch to Harvey Weinstein. No big news yeah. this morning. He surrendered back in New York. I, I wonder, do you think that celebrity justice explains the fact that this is happening now as opposed to months ago? I mean, there are over 80 women made these allegations at London and Beverly Hills and L.A. and New York. And only now, in, in late May, is he being uh, arrested or, or charged. Uh, uh, do you think people are going to suspect that maybe it's his high-powered lawyers that have been able to drag this out as long as they have? I look at it differently, Royal. I, I look at celebrity justice as the reason why it took 20 years for this to happen. Right. But I think that once he was exposed, I don't think that all of the celebrity, all of the money is going to prevent him from being charged. And he was charged, and I think it's just the beginning. Now, I'm looking at the, uh, at the cable picture, and he's, he's standing there next to his lawyers wearing a suit coat, but he's not wearing a tie. He's right. wearing a sweater. He's, I think he's going... Jim Murray for the for the Mr. Rogers look. Uh, <laughs> you think I, I he's think, trying to change his image? You, you're the first person. <laughs> I, I don't think I don't think anybody has used Mr. Rogers and Harvey Weinstein in no. a sentence before. Royal. Well, what do you think, by the way, uh, about the fact that we're seeing two freaking movie projects about Mr. Rogers? I mean, what's next? A, a biopic about Bozo the Clown? Do you no. really think it's worth the celluloid? You are such a sick... Leanne, how do you even work with him? Just today. 
Wow. I think that's all I would handle, really. Royal, you are so lucky that she's staying with you. You know, Mr. Rogers is an iconic figure for a generation. I mean, what a a wonderful, warm... You're going to tell me Captain (sighs) Kangaroo was not a nice man now, right? Uh, Look, I was an Arthur Godfrey fan, but I don't know about those other guys. Oh, my gosh. And who do they get? Is Tom Hanks playing Mr. Uh Rogers? Um, well, no, I, as far as I know, there are, isn't there one that's a documentary and that one is a, a drama? So, uh, theoretically, the documentary will have Mr. Rogers. <laughs> Royal, you are a cynic. I, I'm really, you have children. How could you, what kind of dad are you? It, look, if Tom Cruise <laughs> isn't blowing something up. No Santa Claus? Did you say there's no Santa Claus when they were just children? <laughs> well, they've got to learn it somehow. Um, I'm curious, Jim Murray, uh, he's yeah. chief correspondent of Inside Edition. <laughs> he's, uh, he's, we're so delighted that he's spending part of his holiday weekend with us. I'm curious as to whether you've seen David Letterman's uh, Netflix show. I think he calls it My Next Guest Needs No Introduction, I, and he's at Obama. I have. I have. Yeah, I, 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 it's fascinating. I was such a close David Letterman watcher for decades, and now with the beard and he's a little older, it, it just it seems different. I'm wondering what your take on it is. I, I, David Letterman has been a hero of mine for for decades. I love David Letterman, but I just use one word to describe his new show. Shave. It's so distracting to me. However, having said that, he, his questions are interesting. He, he has gravitas. He has a sense of humor. He's sharp. I, I love David Letterman. I just love him. Last question for you, Jim Murray. Uh, the Obamas as moguls. Are you expecting yeah. great things? Apparently, I didn't realize we were talking 125 million people subscribed to Netflix. Uh, he and Michelle have, have inked this big deal to make uh, scripted, unscripted documentaries, reality shows, and so on. Uh, I, I don't know. I guess it was inevitable that he might uh, gravitate toward uh, toward Hollywood. He was always comfortable you know, with pop culture, television, and so on. Do you, you think great things are going to come from this partnership? Well, look, he's not programming the network. He's providing some content for the network. And I think that his point of view is a legitimate one, and he wants to tell stories that he thinks are positive and will relieve the divisiveness in our culture. And I think that that's a good thing. There there are some people, many people, who are upset about this. And, and I, I read an article today. Some people are threatening to cancel their Netflix subscription. I also read an interesting article yesterday that if you take Netflix stock and multiply it by the number of shares of the value, Valuation of that company is greater than Disney. So, you know, this is a big deal that Obama, the Obamas have been tapped to provide content for this for this streaming service. Did they go after him or did did uh, they go after Netflix? Do you know? I, I suspect it was a bit of both. You know, I think that the Obamas ha- have such a, such a cachet that there was probably a lot of interest from a lot of different a lot of different yeah. areas. So, but, but, you know, I mean, I, what a feather in the cap for Netflix, yeah. really, to, to land them. What a feather in our cap to land you, Jim yeah. Murray, Chief Correspondent Inside Edition. Thank you so much for uh, spending part of your Friday with us. You have a fabulous holiday weekend. I, I love talking to you, Royal, but I, it was only because Leanne was on today that oh. I agreed. I kind of picked that up. I, love you, Jim. I, I picked that up, you know, between <laughs> the lines. <laughs> See you soon, Jim. Bye. You guys, have a wonderful holiday weekend. Bye bye. Hey, folks, keep your eyes open for the KABC promo van as it heads to the city of Westminster starting at 3 p.m. today. They're going to be hanging out in front of Starbucks at the corner of Westminster and Springdale Street off the 405. Listeners who drop by will get some KABC swag and they can register to win a pair of tickets. 
chance to see Steely Dan and the Doobie Brothers at the Forum on May 30. KABC in Westminster today. Tickets courtesy of Live Nation. So, Leanne, are you a big uh, breakfast cereal person, or you, uh, I am not. you skip it generally? No, I yeah. l- I'd rather eat a burger for breakfast. Well, I'm I'm reassured that uh, a burger for breakfast yes. is, is that le- I, is that even legal? Uh, yeah, totally. In my that's world, that's my girl. Uh, yeah, I just that. I don't like breakfast food typically. Well, Kellogg's it would not like to hear that because they're still big into the uh, breakfast cereal business, and the news is that um, there's a last ditch effort to save sugary cereals. Apparently, with all this health food kick, people are talking about well frosted flakes is just sugar filled sugar sugars yes but it's even <laughs> it's even better than this did you realize randy that there's not just frosted flakes and i was unaware of this in 2016 kellogg's launched cinnamon frosted flakes and a chocolate version hit the market just last november Oh, boy. There's a limited Uh, edition cereal with unicorns, okay? Now, I thought those were mythical, okay? But apparently, you know, if they're not mythical, they're rare and endangered, so I don't know why we're eating them in Frosted Flakes. Throw some extra sugar on top of them. Yeah, well, I think that's the bottom line is they're throwing extra sugar. They're adding chocolates and and cinnamon and unicorns because people were moving away from it. I mean, General Mills— Oh, I love this. They rolled out chocolate peanut butter Cheerios in 2017. Oh, it wasn't Yuck. enough to move from, from Cheerios to, you know, with the sugar. Every cereal's Yuck. the same. What's the difference now between Cheerios and Reese's Puffs? <laughs> Cereal sales in the United States, thanks in part to Leanne, have dipped 9% over the last five years. Good. Well, didn't you also say you reported, Randy, that millennials are not eating cereal because they actually have to wash the bowl and the spoon? That's a lot harder (laughs) than just opening up a Slim Jim. I don't don't understand why they have to wash it. I mean, why wouldn't they just put it in the sink and, and, you know, hope mom would drop by? Exactly. They invented for millennials those (laughs) cereal bowls that come in their own bowl with their own spoon. So they can just throw it away. But then you still need to get the milk and pour that in. Oh, God. So General Mills bought Annie's Organic Pastas and Snacks for $820 million a couple of years ago. Yeah, so they're branching out. I think they're sort of seeing the the handwriting on the wall. Move towards organics and less sugar. Yeah, but the bottom line is that that people, you know, people are eating much healthier these days. Well, and it sets, when kids eat cereal every morning for breakfast, it sets them up badly for life because it is like eating candy for breakfast. Yep. Well, of course, everybody says breakfast is the most important meal of the day. And yet, I think a lot of people uh, just absolutely skip it because they're in a rush. That's you know, right. And, you That's know. a terrible idea, too. Stop you know, save time to make a side of bacon every morning. That's what uh, I say. Do you, do now you ever, we're talking. Do you ever hear Dr. Dean Edel's lecture about that, though? He said, um, it, you know, it's all a bunch of bull crap. You don't have to eat uh, three or four or five small meals a day. He said, we are not very far evolutionarily from cavemen who basically Ate were, once a day yeah or once a week because yeah. you know there was the only heart, occasionally they had to go get their own food you, you find a brontosaurus lying there dead <laughs> only every week or two and he said people traditionally would eat to the point where they were just about to bust yep. because they knew they didn't know if they were going to yeah. run across another brontosaurus it's like a lion, you know yeah, you only get yeah. one once a week and he said that's the way we were for millions and millions of years and now 
nowadays we're trying to, you know, come up with these rules. And he says, no, forget about it. You don't need breakfast. If the cavemen had Pizza Hut, they'd be eating all the time, too. <laughs> they'd be fat. Good point. 722 The Time, Talk Radio 790-KABC, Royal Oaks in for Doug McIntyre. Donna Page in for traffic. How are things looking, Donna? Vote for me. Vote for me. 7.36 The Time, Talk Radio 790K, ABC, Royal Oaks. In for Doug McIntyre. Happy Friday to you all. Friday! And keep listening. 10 o'clock for Peter Tilden till noon. And, of course, Dr. Drew and Lauren Savan at noon to 3. And Jillian and John, the drive home, 3 to 6 p.m. here on KABC. And speaking of shows, please check out my podcast, The Royal Oaks Show. It's on CRN Digital Talk. It's on YouTube. So uh, give it a listen. So we are delighted to be joined by Dan Schnoor. He is political expert and professor at USC's Annenberg School for Communication and Journalism to help us sort out the uh, Diane Feinstein situation. Dan, how are you today? Well, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Terrific. Well, uh, people are accusing her of flip-flopping. Uh, Kevin DeLeon is uh, mounting a, a primary challenge, and uh, she's moving a little bit to the left. And, you know, I guess it's normal in the primary. Uh, you move to the extreme, and then in the general election, maybe you move back to the center. But folks are identifying some specific issues where she seems to be uh, changing for uh, perhaps expedient reasons. What's your take on it? Well, I, I knew somebody in politics a long time ago who used to like to say, there's nothing wrong with flip-flopping as long as you're flipping in the right direction. <laughs> right. <laughs> and what's pretty clear is, and you know, we've talked about this you know, over the years on this show, is Cal- California in general, the California Democratic Party has moved decidedly leftward since Dianne Feinstein was first elected to office in the early 1990s. Ironically, when she first emerged on the statewide stage when running for governor in 1990, uh, she announced her support for the death penalty uh, for very credible and understandable reasons. She had uh, witnessed the the assassination of San Francisco Mayor George Moscone, and she said it caused her to rethink her position on the issue based on her personal experience. And that's what reasonable people do. Mm -hmm. If they learn something new that they didn't know previously, they rethink where they are. Now Feinstein has rethought her position on that issue again and has decided, based on new information, that in fact she opposes the death penalty. Uh, But if you pair that with uh, different positions on immigration, uh, on marijuana, and as of this morning's reporting on a fairly dramatic expansion of government-run health care, this is a candidate who has become more progressive, which she's certainly entitled to do, but it is notable, as you said, that it's taking place in the middle of a very heated primary against a much more liberal opponent. Yeah, I mean, and examples, you mentioned uh, marijuana. For years, she supported the federal uh, law against marijuana. Now she's uh, changed on that. She supported uh, Gina Haspel, the CIA director nominee, and then she decided to, to be against her. I mean, it just seems so transparent that given the surprising strength of the primary challenge by Kevin DeLeon, that she has changed some views. And I, I mean, it kind of undermines her her her, uh, her credibility. It makes her look kind of like a hypocrite. And at the end of the day, I do you think that he's really got any kind of a chance to beat her in the primary anyway? Isn't this sort of all for nothing? Well, that's the real question here is, you know, whether Feinstein is changing her position out of conviction or out of convenience is something for her to decide and the rest of us to guess about. Like I said, reasonable people can reassess their opinions on issues when they're given new opinions. 
But it has taken place over the course of a primary. And as you pointed out, Royal, there's no indication, at least right now, that Kevin DeLeon poses a tremendous threat to her. She's very comfortably ahead in the polls. She's raised much, much more money than him. But it's entirely possible that she and her advisors have decided that rather than giving DeLeon the oxygen to mount a credible campaign from the left, better to shut it off. Right. Uh, if, 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 if you assume that Kevin DeLeon knows that becoming senator is a long shot for him, maybe he's wanting to become the Bernie Sanders of California, <laughs> right. the leader of a progressive movement even in defeat. And Feinstein may not want to go through the same kind of very difficult primary that Clinton did two years ago. We're talking to Dan Schnur, political expert, professor at the USC Annenberg School for Communication and Journalism. Dan, let's talk about this so-called jungle primary in general. In the old days, you know, the winner among the Republicans in the primary faces off against the winner among the Democrats in, in November. And now in California... No, it's the top two vote-getters in the primary, so you could have two Republicans or two Democrats or some other combination uh, in November. I, some people say, yeah, well, it's really good for Democrats. They've always got the edge here in California, but others are saying, well, maybe some Republicans will get lucky. You might have five Democrats split their votes and only two Republicans in the primary, and you could end up with two Republicans. How do you think this is going to play out in terms of what might be best for the GOP or the Democrats? Well, Royal, you and I can probably joke about it and say we're old enough to remember when Republicans and Democrats were on the general election ballot in California. <laughs> right. Um, but uh, the top two primary is a jungle just because of, and I don't necessarily mean that as a pejorative, but the complications, as you just outlined, are just astounding. Um, in the governor's race, um, the battle lines are a little bit more clear. In the congressional campaigns, which we may or may not have time to discuss, is where it gets really complicated. And the governor's race is pretty straightforward. Uh, it appears that Gavin Newsom, the lieutenant governor, is going to get one of the two spots in the runoff. So we are, in some ways, having a traditional Republican versus Democrat campaign. We're just having it in June rather than November. Right. Between John Cox, the Republican, between John Cox, the Republican, and Tony Vitaragosa, the Democrat. They seem to be neck and neck in the polls. My own opinion is that the USCLA Times poll is probably a little bit off on this. And my guess is that Cox heading into the last 10 days does have an advantage over Vita Ragosa. But essentially, they're running for a spot in the final four, or excuse me, in the final two. Whoever wins is, finishes second in the primary goes up against Newsom in the fall. We seem to be in a one-party state in California. The GOP is kind of on life support. And, you know, like 45% Democrats, maybe, and the Republicans are about the same as declined a state or independent, around 25%. What do you think about this move by John Kasich and Schwarzenegger and some others to move the GOP to the center a little bit to, to reach out? I mean, is, is that the only way that the GOP can somehow get – I mean, good grief, the governor, every constitutional officer, virtual supermajority in the Assembly and the Senate, it's like we don't have a second party in California right now. Well, that's, that's, that's exactly right. And look, I've got nothing but respect for a principled conservative, but your point is, the, is, is precisely the right one, Royal, which is even, a, even someone who's very principled on ideology wants to win from time to time. And I think there are lessons to be learned from other blue states that have elected Republican governors, states like Massachusetts and Maryland, um, where they've elected Republicans who might be somewhat more centrist than the national model. But it's the most conservative candidate you're ever going to elect in a deep blue state. 
some Democrats have been successful in the South and in the Rocky Mountain states and red states by running more centrist. Um, again, there's nothing wrong with being a principled conservative, but unless you are satisfied holding a dwindling number of congressional and legislative seats, the question to be asked logically is as California gets bluer and bluer and bluer, are there things the Republican Party can do to become more competitive? I think the answer is yes. Yeah, it just seems like it's uh, close to end of days for the GOP in our state. Hey, Dan Schnur of the USC Annenberg School, thanks for uh, spending part of your Friday with us. You have a great holiday weekend. You too. Thanks for having me. Thanks a lot. 7.45 the time. Royal Oaks in for Doug McIntyre. This is Talk Radio 790 KABC. And this is Donna Page with traffic. Don't nobody bring me no bad news. 37 the time. Talk Radio 790 KABC Royal Oaks in for Doug McIntyre this Friday. Hope you have a fabulous Memorial Day weekend planned. Hey, would you like to win some Ringo Star tickets here? Be the first caller, 1-800-222-KABC. Ringo Star and his all-star band, Greek Theater, September 29, 1-800-222-KABC. Hey, we are delighted to be joined now by Conan Nolan. He is chief political reporter for NBC4 and host of News Conference, airing Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. Conan, how are you? Very good, Royal. How are you? Well, I'm fine, and it just occurred to me, Conan, uh, technically, you're the first caller. I, I think you've won <laughs> the Ringo Starr <laughs> tickets, unless huh. unless you're willing to, you know, go ahead and let another KBC listener get them. Well, listen, I'll uh, I'll put them up for auction to raise money for your own permanent show on KBC. <laughs> well, thank you so much. I, I think we're going to still let somebody call in other than Conan. It's only right. 1-800-222-KBC. Hey, uh, my gosh, a few items going on in the political world. Uh, uh, the the Spygate thing is kind of intriguing to me. Um, you know, Trump has just been under assault for months and months, the collusion or obstruction and so on. And now he's finally got something to kind of turn the tables on. But do you think there's there's anything to uh, what they're starting to call Spygate? Yeah, I'm not sure who's calling it, other than the president. Uh, frankly, <laughs> I, I don't um, I, I don't see this as having legs. Uh, I think the president is using the term spy because. Um, Informant is not a strong uh, a term, mm-hmm. and it'd be interesting to see what took place in this uh, extraordinary meeting that took place yesterday with the Gang of Eight, that is the leadership of uh, both House of Congress and the leadership of the two intelligence committees, and the individuals representing the various intelligence agencies who said, I think they made it pretty clear that I... Uh, that there was not a, I mean, based on what Adam Schiff said later, he read a statement on behalf of the Democrats. Nobody else talked afterwards. I know Devin Nunes didn't say anything. But um, my guess is that this is, uh, we're going to be moving on to something else soon. I'm not, I'm not sure this this has the traction that the president is hoping for. Let's talk about Dianne Feinstein. She seems to be coming in for some uh, big-time criticism for flip-flopping on some issues. Uh, used to be in favor of capital punishment. Now she's against it. Used to be uh, in favor of the federal law against marijuana. Now she's against the law. And, of course, people are saying, aha, she saw a little bit of a, a scare on the left from Kevin DeLeon. Uh, what's your take on uh, on her situation in her primary and her uh, alternative? positions. 
Well, Dianne Feinstein has always been the closest to a Republican that Republicans have in the U.S. Senate out of California. Remember when she was mayor of San Francisco, which is even back in the 70s as a very liberal city, she was in favor of the home porting of the USS Missouri in that city. Mm-hmm. And there was a huge, I remember I was living in San Francisco at the time, there was a huge backlash because, hey, this was the Pentagon, this is the military, this is San Francisco, we don't literally harbor the the armed forces here. But she's somebody who says, listen, it's the Defense Department and it's money. She's also was in favor of tax cuts at some point. So the the liberal element of the Democratic Party has never been that comfortable with her. I mean, she's a, she's a solid liberal vote, but she's certainly not where Bernie Sanders is and not where the uh, resistance is. Remember up in San Francisco at the Commonwealth Club when she said, well, you know, Donald Trump, I'm hoping he becomes a good president. Uh, we should give him a, a chance. Oh, my gosh. Uh, she was excoriated over that. And Kevin DeLeon says uh, the president pro tem of the Senate, the California Senate, says that's one of the reasons he decided to run against her. So, uh, yeah, the, the party has moved to her left. The state has moved to her left. And so uh, it's sort of only natural that she does that because we've, we see that routinely with uh, people who want to keep their jobs. And I, I don't think there's going to be any question she's going to finish with the um, at the top with the top as the top vote getter in the primary. Uh, it's going to be a really rough road for Kevin DeLeon to make inroads because um, she just has uh, the fundraising. She's the name ID, and frankly, she's the lead Democrat in the uh, on judiciary. She has a national. She's a she's a, has national exposure. I just I just don't see any chance, frankly. You know, and I'm my crystal ball broke a long time ago in 2016. uh, But it's going to be really tough for Kevin DeLeon, especially if she's tacking to the left the way she is. We're talking with Conan Nolan, NBC Four's chief political reporter and host of News Conference, airing Sunday mornings at nine. I want to ask you about this uh, so-called jungle primary, but uh, tell us uh, what's going on on your show on Sunday morning. Well, actually, we're preempted this week, but we do have uh, at 7:45. We have a couple of segments. We have. The state insurance commissioner, um, Bill Jones, whose name just escaped me. Oh, Dave Jones. Uh, Dave Jones, thank Mm you. Uh, He's running against uh, the current attorney general, Javier Becerra, who was appointed by Jerry Brown after Kamala Harris took Barbara Boxer's place in the U.S. Senate. Interestingly enough for, for Dave Jones, he decided to run for attorney general back before uh, Kamala Harris moved on to the Senate, and then all of a sudden, uh, he has an incumbent that he's running against, fairly popular, Mr. Becerra, former member of Congress from Los Angeles, and he's the legal uh, upfront guy in the fight against the resistance against Donald Trump. Yeah. So he's he's desperate to try to pin Javier Becerra on some kind of violation of the law for using a a state courthouse up in Sacramento for a campaign commercial. He filed a a civil action against it yesterday, held a news conference up there and one down here. I'm not sure that's what people are going to hang their vote on, is whether or not this commercial was was filmed on on state property in violation of a a state law. But uh, we talked to him, plus we'll talk to Chuck Todd, host of Meet the Press, with regard to uh, Spygate uh, and whether or not, that, again, that has traction and whether or not they're going to be able to, if there's any hope of, of this Korean summit actually taking place at some point down the road. It looks like, of course, it's off, but 
the North Koreans, uh, they just yesterday, they came back and said, hey, we'll talk to the Americans at any time. So yeah, who knows? Could, could be back on. So this jungle primary deal, I mean, for years and years, it's always the same, you know, the top Democrat versus top Republican in November. But now it's the top two vote getters. And the GOP seemed to have some hope. Well, gee, maybe there'll be five Democrats splitting their vote and only two Republicans. So there'll be two Republicans on the ballot in November. But isn't it more likely that because this is California, it's going to be rare to see California? Californians uh, as an excuse me Republicans as an option uh, in on the ballot in November is that kind of what we're looking at right remember the idea of the jung- of the jungle primary the top two primary was considered a reform that that Schwarzenegger was governor at the time and they thought the California legislature was simply too liberal and the reason it was too liberal is that the Democrats always won in the general election so the only competition was in the primary when most very liberal Democrats turn out to vote and moderate and conservative Democrats don't. And so they thought that if you if you gave people the chance in November in a liberal Democratic district to have a choice between the party liberal and the renegade liberal, that Republicans might cotton up to the renegade liberal. Mm-hmm. For example, Antonio Villaraigosa, yeah, he's a Democrat, but he's hoping he makes the runoff and Republicans in the fall say, well, you know, he was against the California Teachers Association, the union leaders uh, for reforming education. Uh, You know, he's a guy who's opposed to single-payer health care because he says it's too expensive. So, yeah, we don't don't like most of what he says, but we like some of what he says. And so maybe he would attract Republican votes, and therefore you would have a choice of a of a liberal Democrat and a moderate Democrat. Well, apparently, now the school of thought is that Republicans just won't turn out uh, if there are two Democrats on the ticket, which is one of the reasons why Nancy Pelosi is upset with Gavin Newsom, because Gavin Newsom is trying to get John Cox on the ticket he, or into the runoff in November. That's why he's spending a commercial uh, you know, talking about John Cox. Wow. It's yeah. an independent expenditure for the most part, uh, because you see, I don't know if you've seen it, but Gavin has this commercial where he says, why is John Cox going after Gavin Newsom for being against the NRA? Mm-hmm. Well, it's all designed to boost Republican turnout for John Cox so that he makes it into the runoff, and then it's game, set, match. Now, the Nancy Pelosi and the Democrats are furious because they believe if a Republican makes it to November, that will drive Republican turnout in a number of congressional districts they hope to win in Orange County, Dana Rohrbacher's district, Ed Royce's old district. And so they're, they're, they were basing their hope that two Democrats would end up in the runoff for governor on the top of the ticket, which could reduce Republican turnout because they have nobody to vote for by one or two or three percent. And that could be just enough to win those seats. So, you know, it's 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 the law of unintended consequences. I don't think anybody expected this when they decided to top two primary, but that's where we are now, and it's going to be fascinating to watch this play out over the next several months. Oh, it is intriguing. It's going to be it's going to be a wild November. Hey, Conan Nolan, NBC Four's chief political reporter and host of News Conference Sundays at nine. Thanks you so much for spending part of your Friday. Have a great holiday weekend. You do the same. Thanks, Royal. Thank you. 847 The Time, Talk Radio 790 KABC, Royal Oaks. In for Doug McIntyre this Friday. Let's check with Donna Page. How are things looking on the road? Is McIntyre in the morning with Doug McIntyre, Leanne Tweeden News, Randy Wang Sports, and Bill Thomas Traffic.
907 The Time, Talk Radio 790K, ABC Royal Oaks, in for Doug McIntyre. Hey, keep your eyes open today for the KBC promo van as it heads to the city of Westminster. Starting at 3 o'clock, they're going to be hanging out in front of the Starbucks at the corner of Westminster and Springdale Street off the 405. Listeners who drop by will get some KABC swag and can register to win a pair of tickets to see Steely Dan and the Doobie Brothers at the Forum on May 30. KBC in Westminster today. Tickets courtesy of Live Nation. I love that Steely Dan and the Doobie Brothers are playing together. Both of those bands have had Michael McDonald in them at one point. Aha! I didn't realize that. Hey, we are delighted to now be joined by Joe Concha. He's the Hills media reporter. Uh, Joe, uh, happy Memorial Day a little early to you. How are you? Shine, sweet freedom, shine a light on me. Nice. Michael McDonald, right? Yeah, very good, very good. I have to tell you, Joe, um, I have Fox News on uh, in my office all day, and I have the sound off so I can actually get some work. When I see you on Fox the sound comes up. I love what? I love your appearances. You are fantastic. I love the fact that you have PayPal where I can make payments before <laughs> interviews. <laughs> there you go. And so, I can add a note. Make sure you say the thing about turning the, the volume up. Thanks. <laughs> that's cool. I appreciate it. That's, that's awesome. So uh, I know you've been watching, uh, I want to talk to you about a few things, but I know you've been watching this Elon Musk story. Apparently Elon is not happy over uh, media coverage of unionization efforts there at Tesla, and he, he wants to uh, take some steps to establish a, a credibility score. What, what can you tell us about this uh, story? Uh, it's amazing. I mean, Elon Musk just basically out of nowhere <laughs> sounds like Donald Trump, mm-hmm. which is the last thing I ever thought I would see, right? And uh, look, he's talking about uh, Tesla, and uh, it's amazing. I always thought Elon Musk was older. Uh, he's only 46. Mm-hmm. I-, I figured it seems like he's been around for a while. It's like LeBron, you know? Like, you figure LeBron's 50 years old, James, yeah. because he's been playing since high school. Uh, but, but basically, you know, he's, he's the CEO of SpaceX as well. Uh, and he just unloaded. Uh, and, and basically, in recent months, uh, the media has been covering about the, the many problems that have hit his companies, quite frankly. Um, you know, and, and we're talking about, like, you know, one was a deadly crash that occurred with his Model X autopilot system, uh, delays in production for his Model 3s. Uh, Tesla uh, hasn't been able to pay off its debt completely. Uh, its quarterly losses are bad. So, I, look, I, I don't understand what the, the complaints are. I'm sorry that the media is reporting bad news on Mr. Musk's company, but... I mean, these are numbers. These are these are tangible things they're reporting on. He needs to be more specific with his um, criticism and then just throwing out. And it is exactly what he treated. Problem with journalists are under constant pressure to get max clicks and earn advertising dollars or get fired. Tricky situation is Tesla doesn't advertise, but fossil fuel companies and gas diesel car companies are among world's biggest advertisers. Mm-hmm. I don't know. He's got to be specific with his complaints. Like, what specific story do you have a problem with? And then go after that publication. But to throw out general broad brush stuff, it's not going to have much of an effect. Yeah, he's kind of thin-skinned, I think. You know, thinking about politics and uh, the media, sort of the intersection, I, I was watching one of David Letterman's new deals, uh, you know, my next guest needs no introduction. And it, it occurred to me, and, and I was reading a biography of him, that he became more political as he got into the, uh, the job uh, in the last few years of his uh, hosting work. And now Stephen Colbert has just perfected it. Uh, the media uh, and and politics just is this intersection. I, I mean, Colbert is just absolutely jump started his ratings and basically saved his job. 
are, are you surprised that we have seen, I guess, a John Stewart is responsible for it as well. Are you surprised that we've seen a, a total drenching politicization uh, of entertainment and, and the media uh, to the point where you, you can't get away from, from people's biases no matter you know, where you turn on the dial? I think it's, for me personally, it's it's total fatigue. Like, you think, like, okay, when I used to turn into Letterman when he was on NBC and I'd see stupid pet tricks, I mm-hmm. wasn't thinking about, I mean, granted, I was like 12 years old, but I wasn't thinking about any stress from school or anything. I used to actually VCR it, it just to age myself and then watch it the next day when I got home from school. And he and avoided was, I mean, politics back then. He had no use for it. He was like Johnny Carson. He wanted people to wonder where he was on the spectrum, I think. Yeah, I, I think he didn't see it as funny. Like, what's funny about Carter, right? Or what's funny about George H.W. <laughs> Bush? I mean, and then Dana Carvey would do some Saturday Night Live. But it, was, it, was, it wasn't done with the anger that it is now. With it, It's just Colbert, I'm sorry. I mean, I know his ratings are great, and he would have lost his job. Absolutely, he was in a bad third place before Donald Trump announced his uh, candidacy. Uh, but it's just the same thing every night. And I, I just, I wonder if it's, it's a one-trick pony thing. I mean, at least Fallon has some to-do imitations and all that. But uh, he's losing the Colbert now, so I guess that's the appetite for people that are watching TV at that time of night, which is probably a younger audience, probably doesn't like the president that much. But I'm sorry, even if I hated the president, I would be bored after a while hearing the same jokes over and over again about the same person, but apparently it's working. We're talking to The Hills media reporter Joe Concha, and speaking of the same thing over and over night after night, all we've been hearing about for a year or two is collusion and obstruction, and the smoking guns have not emerged. Now Trump's taking the offensive, and he's coined Spygate, and he's saying, hey, what's this about the FBI planting a mole in my campaign, which sounds, you know, I mean, if there's true criminal going on, then the FBI should go after it, whether it's, you know, at a beauty shop or the Trump campaign. But it sounds kind of fishy. Do you think he might get some traction with this allegation? You know why I think it's fishy? Just for laymen, like just people sitting at home, and they don't really care about the difference between a confidential informant and spy, which which our idea is, is harping on. It wasn't a spy. It was a confidential informant. Well, what's the difference? <laughs> All right, somebody surreptitiously goes into a campaign, doesn't announce who they are, what their intentions are, to get information out of people working at that campaign, and he works for the government. I think you could use spy there, whether it's nefarious sounding or not. And I think the problem people probably have is that why, therefore, wasn't there an FBI informant in the Clinton campaign? You say, well, why would we need that? Well, I don't know. They paid for, partly, a dossier that was put together by a foreign agent who depended on Russian information in order to eventually wiretap or at least get a warrant to listen in on phone calls around Paul Manafort, right? So... Yeah, uh, I would think that if that was the concern that we have foreign collusion in some capacity, if you're going to do it with President Trump or candidate Trump at the time, then Hillary Clinton or her campaign deserve the same thing, considering when you consider where that dossier's information came from, and that was, ding, ding, Russia. So Trump got into some hot water lately for calling animals lately. animals. <laughs> You're right. So this MS-13 gang, I mean, they are, figuratively speaking, animals. I mean, they are vicious killers. And so it's okay. It's legitimate to call them animals. But no, some people felt that this was somehow racist. I mean, did you think it was a little irresponsible for the left to race bait and try to appeal to those who feel Trump is racist by alleging his comment was racially motivated? 
I, I really want to avoid sounding like a cheerleader for the president, and I'll be totally transparent. I like John Kasich a lot. I did. I wanted him to be president. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, so it's not like I'm going to come on here. And whenever I attack the media, I, I get hit on social media sometimes. You're such a cheerleader for Trump. No, I'm not. It's just our media keeps screwing up every every time because they can't put their feelings aside, and they can't just report and pursue facts. Look, MS, MS-13, their motto is kill, rape, control. Okay? That is animalistic. Uh, and the way normal people speak and why Trump appeals to so many people uh, in terms of his supporters is because he isn't polished or polite, but he speaks the way people do around a dinner table or at a bar, which is those people are animals. They rape, they kill, they control, they're, 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 they, they, they torture people. Those are animals. And you have people actually defending this in the media or actually saying it's a racial kind of thing or Nancy Pelosi saying, you know, we really shouldn't be using that term. Well, of course we should. In the span of a week, we have that a media and, and, and some members of a political party defending MS-13 while cheering the fact that a North Korean summit was canceled or at least postponed, and now we have heightened tensions and, and the possibility of war, which, by the way, they have nuclear weapons. We don't know what their capabilities are. People are more happy about Donald Trump not winning a Nobel Peace Prize than they are about actually having talks with the North Koreans, which would be better for world peace. That's how bad things are right now, where we root against President Trump to the point where people could be killed as a result of something not happening. Yeah, no, I, it's just shameful to me to the to score political points the, the left is willing to to do something that kind of elevates or defends or somehow cleanses the image of these of these stone cold killers well let's talk yeah. about a, a, one of the few stories that doesn't relate to Trump and that's the Starbucks deal I I to me uh, the idea of of reacting to the the problems in Philadelphia and also in the Los Angeles area now by essentially creating Starbucks as being homeless shelters. I mean, say you can come on in. I mean, this is a private company. Why in the world would they invite people in who aren't going to buy the caramel macchiato, whatever, uh, grande drip? Uh, and yet, uh, it seems like they are just so infected with the virus of progressivism that they that they can't resist. Daniel Henninger in the Wall Street Journal uh, puts it perfectly. Opening paragraph to a column he wrote on the 23rd earlier this week. He says, Starbucks has jumped the shark. To put that more precisely, American liberalism has jumped the shark. In April, two black men walked into a Starbucks in Philadelphia. They were there to use the bathroom, not to order anything Starbucks sold. They, were, they said they were there on business. The manager said uh, they wouldn't leave. And then before you know it, the, the, the cops are there. Someone posts a video. And, and now we're, we're leading to where we are exactly as you described, where, okay, we're going to allow people to walk into businesses and not buy anything. And, and it's, I think it's called loitering, right? I'm, I'm not a lawyer or anybody who works in law. But, you, I mean, there, there's, if you run a business, I would think you've got to buy something within a certain amount of time or else you're taking up space and you've got to go. But because there's a racial aspect to this, then suddenly this becomes uh, just another movement that is just so ridiculous. And again, if Democrats and, and, and the media want to focus on these things, I think people are, are tired of all the social justice stuff, and they just want more, particularly from the media, I'll stay in my lane, more reporting on things that matter, like economy, ISIS, North Korea, not just for mockery reasons, uh, wages, uh, going to middle America and seeing what people are really feeling as far as job security and so on, instead of just all this crap, and that's the only word I could put to it, it's crap. Well, Joe Concha, the Hills Media Reporter, I'm going to continue to turn the sound on whenever I see you on television. <laughs> well, they say I have a great face for radio, so maybe put a blanket <laughs> on TV, but listen, and you're on your way. You have a great Memorial Day.
Hey, you guys too. Take care. Take care. Bye-bye. 918 The Time, Talk Radio, 790 KABC. So, Leanne, uh, I love that phrase, uh, you jumped the shark. Yeah. Uh, do you happen to know the exact origin of that phrase? Do you I know, do you not, know the story? but please enlighten me. So you don't he- know? So here's the deal. Happy Days was this wonderful popular show for many years. And after a while, it kind of ran out of ideas. And the writers decided to have Fonzie uh, literally jump over a shark in a water skiing oh, context. My. Yes. And then people said, okay, they've jumped the shark, meaning they didn't know when to go. They are beyond their expiration date. Now, here's what's shocking. Isn't that a fun reference? The show lasted five more years after they jumped the shark. I didn't know that. (laughs) Happy Days went on for like 10 years past its expiration date. So one of the sadder stories uh, we've, we've seen in the news this week is the 30-year-old deadbeat son who had to be kicked out of his house via an eviction lawsuit by the parents. Yes, yeah, sad for the parents. Oh, my gosh. And you won't feel an ounce of sympathy for Michael Rotondo if you've seen any of his 10,000 interviews <laughs> oh, yesterday. Yes. Jesus. He looks rather goth. Uh, Mark and Christina Rotondo were forced to, uh, to file suit against their son. They gave him the chance. They gave him cash for moving expenses, pleaded with him to get on with his life before finally sending legal notices. And I, I've seen him on multiple cable interviews. He is totally unrepentant, you know. Oh, no, of course not. Yeah, it's not my fault. I don't have you a know? place to go. They can't kick me he's out. aggressively he's lazy. playing with his hair, like putting his hair up in ponytails while he's talking to the media. I'm like, you are weird. And Leanne revealed, the guy's got a kid. Yeah. They yeah, did. he's That's a right. father. Oh, yeah. He, scary. He's a wonderful person. Uh, he, uh, The parents did stick it to him a little. They said, you know, there are jobs available even for those with a poor work history like you. And because of all the news, they got at least a pizzeria is like, we'll give you a job. We'll help you move. I, I know. Do he says, this is really unfair to me. It's really outrageous. He, he's a self-described businessman. Uh, he's lost custody of, of the son. As you mentioned, he is a little boy. He said, I've been trying to leave for a long time. They stopped feeding me. They cut off the family. Family phone plan. He says, "I don't. I think somebody's trying to destroy me." Uh, so he, oh maybe he's God. a little paranoid as well. Wow. He's acting as his own attorney. He filed a motion to get his parents' a lawsuit for eviction tossed out, uh, saying, "Oh no, they have to give him six months." He says, "I have money. I have income. Uh, I I have the ways to not stay with them anymore. Just not today. Just not in a month. I don't think I'll be here in three months." So, well, he won't be there June first. That's when the court ordered he mm-hmm. has to be out and there's going to be live camera footage of that move oh, out totally. day. do you know what he told in an interview yesterday <laughs> this what? is a quote from the oh, most successful snowflake in the world michael rotondo i need to start packing my boxes so i can move but i have to pay for the boxes <laughs> and that might be a problem you know at this point i think mom and dad will give him some boxes get now- the hell out michael he, apparently, after the court hearing oh, where Lord. he lost, uh, some- he said he briefly saw his parents when he got home Tuesday. Th- that was a little awkward, awkward, I would think. Yeah, that would be a chilly dinner does at he, home. Does he not know what like self pride is? I mean, he's no. making he's an embarrassment. He's to aggressively lazy. Now he may, however, be coming into some some substantial money. He has sued Best Buy for three hundred thirty eight thousand dollars. What? Why? Because they fired him two years ago for not working on Saturday. And that case is still pending. So, uh, how, how would you advise that, out, that if you were his lawyer? Yeah, I, w- I would just uh, quit while you're behind. You know, just, 
just drop it. Drop it. Uh, He's got to have a reality show, right? Why? Oh, I think no, 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 no. Why no. shouldn't he and OJ no. have a reality no. show? No, together? no, no. Because no, no. OJ has some kind of a personality. He's a psychopath, but yeah. he charms people. This guy is unwatchable. You're In right. all these interviews, he's just like, there's not one likable quality about him. Oh, you're right. It's just it's painful listening to the guy. I when never I... thought about it till you just mentioned it, but I would watch OJ over him. <laughs> <laughs> when I first heard the story, we reported that a couple days ago. I thought, you know, it's got to be the parents' fault because they enabled him this whole time, right? They enabled him. They let him stay there until he was 30. And then I saw the interview with him, and I said, oh, man, they're up against it. That's a tough battle. I, now I feel for the parents. Yeah, yeah, no. He he <sighs> looks like a combination. And there's an excuse every every turn, you know. No, I can't do this. Oh, they need to give me six more months. Oh, I'm not ready. What's the uh, age limit where you can put your kid up for adoption? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, but this guy looks like Ozzy Osbourne's and Michael Moore's love child. Oh, oh. 923 The Time, Talk Radio 790 KABC. Let's check the roads with Donna Page.